This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Sayaka Lien is a Japanese-born horticulturalist and gardener. She is the lead gardener at the Herb Farm in Southern Oregon. The Herb Farm, creators of a wide array of organic, cultivated, and ethically produced herbal products, believe that their work can inspire more love for plants and respect for nature, and that it can improve the health happiness, and harmony of the earth and all of its people. Founded in the 1970s by Ed Smith and Sarah Katz, the working production farm based in Williams, Oregon, is also home to an extensive public herbal display garden, featuring over 500 native and non-native herbal plants. Sayaka oversees this botanical education garden, and facilitates ongoing research and conservation collaborations between the garden and United Plant Savers, whose mission is to protect native medicinal plants of the United States and Canada and their native habitats, while ensuring an abundant, ethical, and renewable supply of medicinal plants for generations to come. The garden is also a flagship farm for the Oregon Bee Project and Atlas out of Oregon State University, working to study and protect the native bees of Oregon. Sayaka also facilitates public engagement in the display garden at the herb farm, and she joined me earlier this season to share more about her garden life journey. Welcome, Sayaka. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm so honored to speak with you today because I have been your listener for quite a while. And I never um, thought that in a million years I'm going to be in your show. (laughs) And here I am. So thank you for connecting with me. I'm so grateful. Well, I am really excited about your work up there, and which is fact is not that far from, from me in Northern California. And there's something about both your life history and the integration of this herb farm botanical education garden for the public and its involvement with some larger environmental integration in your area that just speaks right to my heart, Sayaka. So you really are the head gardener there at the at the farm. And the botanical garden is 1.5 acres of a larger endeavor. Will you describe for listeners, what is the herb farm? What do they do? And um, how does the botanical education garden fit into that? Yeah, so the herb farm with the pH, it's uh, actually America's one of the lead uh, herbal extract company and founded by Ed Smith and Sarah Katz in 1979. So they started as a small home business in a small town called Williams. Then Herb Farm currently manufactures and sells just over 200 single and blended herbal extract products. And we grow 80 distinct species of herbs and spices on our farm. So tell us, how does the Botanical Education Garden work with the larger pharmaceutical, aromatherapy, medicinal herb plants being used for production? Like, is there a correlation? Like, tell us the goals of the Botanical Garden. Yeah, so so back to like Ed's and Sarah's vision. 
So um, when they started it back in 1979, you know, their mission is to make the best quality of the herbal extract, but also their importance is to train future farmers and herbalists. So to make uh, education garden for them was very important a part of the company. So they are built um, the botanical garden for education purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so then we got now um, 46 divided garden beds and so far 30 of them has theme, for example, like aromatherapy bed, uh, traditional Chinese medicine bed and the women's and children's herbs and also like six different plants family beds. And there is a special bed called UPS, uh, which is not um, package delivering company. Uh, UPS stands <laughs> for a United Plant Saver um, bed. And Herb Farm is the botanical sanctuary certified by this organization, UPS. Tell us a little bit about UPS. What is the United Plant Savers? Uh, what is that? Mm-hmm. So uh, UPS, based on in Ohio, it's a non-profit organization. And food's mission is to protect native medicinal plants of the United States. Ah. Right. So they're concerned about native plants that are at risk of over-harvesting. Yeah, because back in the days, wildcraft is a norm for herbalism, you know, especially for the Ed Sarah started it. And then um, they're concerning over-harvest and, you know, losing their habitat. Yeah. So the earth... um, um, you know, supporting this UPS organization. And we cultivate many of these UPS plants here at the herb farm in Southern Oregon. Okay, so give us some examples of, because I think Mm -hmm. this is such an important element to what you're doing. Um, The ethical foraging and wild crafting in our, you know, shrinking native environments at this point is something that I don't think we can talk about too much, right? And um, what, give us some examples of some plants that are in that UPS bed, Sayaka. Yeah, so there is like, no, a lot of them are actually Northeast natives, but all, as well as uh, Western native plants too. And they categorize as um, at risk, and watch list. So the at risk list, there is um, plants uh, like Acacia, Lomatium, and then gold, Golden Seal, Black Cohosh, and Blue Cohosh. Mm. Um, yeah, these are the at risk. And then there is another one, just a watch list, is Oregon grapes, which we see them a lot, but it's also... Um, listed as watch list yeah too mm-hmm. so all right before we get any further into the garden and the other 46 garden beds and your gardening goals and processes there let's go back a little bit Sayaka tell us mm-hmm. about your earliest influences and where were you born and raised and who were the people and plants and places that grew you into a plants woman who would mm-hmm choose this as her career path? Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in Japan. And after graduated college, I was a typical working woman in Tokyo. 
But I always wanted to explore the world. So I was working for uh, the one of the largest English conversation school as a counselor. And I talked to many students like who wants to study abroad or just want a cultural experience in uh, learning English overseas. And um, this was fun, but um, every summer and spring, I chaperoned high school age group to Southern California or Seattle area. Um, so basically I was paid to go to Disneyland with them. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. And also um, I did a business trip overseas numerous times and uh, I got to see so many beautiful landscapes all over the world. And the English garden was very trendy at the time. So that got me thinking and it would be so nice if I could create a beautiful space on my own. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so uh, that was really my aha moment. Yeah. And yeah, so I had no experience even gardening or designing, but I followed my intuition. Yeah. So what? So how did you make that happen? Where did you go from this like moment of epiphany and being an English language chaperone and corporate woman mm -hmm. in Tokyo? How do you then make that transition? Yeah, you know, this calling didn't stop me at all. So, um, you know, I quit my job and found school in England. And then next things is just, you know, I flew to England and studied horticulture, specialized garden design, and earned BTEC national certificate of the garden design. Wow. Yes. How long did that take you and where were you training exactly in England? So, um, it took me a year to get this certificate, but if I wanted to stay and um, keep continuing the studying, I could uh, do that to just getting diploma to higher education level. Mm -hmm. um, but my kind of like idea was just to bring these knowledge back to Japan and um, start it from there. But I realized, like I mentioned earlier, I have no experience gardening. Mm -hmm. So um, I applied several intern programs in England, you know, because I needed more hands-on experience. Right. Mm -hmm. But it was very competitive to get in, um, you know, because the gardener was a celebrity in England back then. Yes. I think yeah. they still are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so... So where did you finally get a, a, an internship for more hands-on experience? Yeah. So, yeah, long story short, I actually found Ohio State University has organization for, international, you know, for international students mm -hmm. to place like agricultural or horticultural program throughout U.S., so I accepted an intern program at Forest Farm in Williams, Oregon. Wow. And yeah, and so I, I was back, you know, and to the States. But I did also apprentice program at Faloli Garden in San Francisco. And uh, during the intern program, I met my husband. So I moved to Oregon permanently and working for the art farm since. I want to step back just a little bit because mm -hmm. we fast forwarded over your growing up pretty quickly. When you look back now as a, a professional gardener for many years and 
advanced training and experience both at gardens in England and gardens in the U.S., you know, some formal gardens, a working garden, do you see early influences in your life from your parents or your grandparents or your culture or perhaps religion that are influential that you see as influences that led you here? Yeah. So I grew up in the area that was surrounded by the mountains and river, a town called Nagano in Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember back, you know, in the school days, um, you know, on the way to school, there are like like rice field on both sides. And I always see the tadpoles and frogs. And, you know, <laughs> so nature was everywhere, you know. And and then, you know, my mom wasn't a gardener, but uh, she was definitely a good cook. And also she worked full time. And not only take care of us, but um, also her in-laws, which are my grandparents. Uh, we lived together. And, you know, in Japan, there is a kind of traditional cultural things that the, you know, normally the oldest son um, move into um, his parents' house and live together and take care of them also. I don't know if this um, tradition, you know, uh, still there, but, you know, at that time it was kind of like normal thing. Mm-hmm. But then uh, instead of my dad moving into his parents' house, he actually um, bought his property and built the house. And um, so he is now retired, but he was an architect. So, um, you know, if I thinking about this desire of wanting to be a garden designer, I think it's come from my father. Mm. You know, um, I remember I was watching him drawing um, using drafting desk. And he had a coolest pencils and drawing stencils. So I love reading his collection of beautiful architecture book. And my favorite thing was to look at house layout. And then so he, he bought the properties. And so he was actually building um, the garden, which was kind of like a Japanese influence. And then in the center of the yard, my dad created a dry pond and laid out a bunch of boulders around. And he even special ordered soil from mountains and planted native trees and shrubs like red pines or Asa palmatum. Ah. Yeah, and in a dry pond, it was just the dirt from mountain. And it, to me, it looked boring. So at that time, <laughs> I wished he chose like chose like koi pond or more cool, you know, pond. Right. Yeah. But he explained about dry ponds and says, you know, during the winter month, um, when the atmosphere gets cold, and the frost column, like the, a couple inches of like needle-like ice, will form on the ground. So for my dad, this garden was the art of the nature. But for me and my brother were total cool playground. So like jumping boulder to boulder <laughs> and dry pond area was a perfect landing spot. But my dad was always chasing us around, told us not to stamp on the dry <laughs> pond because it creates compaction on the dirt. But when winter came, I totally understand his effort. 
I saw this entire dry pond looked like a beautiful icy pond, and that was very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're speaking today with Sayaka Lian, head gardener at the Botanic Education Garden of the larger Herb Farm in Southern Oregon. We'll be right back for more good garden-based winter medicine. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. This episode airs in a big two weeks in our seasonal, planetary, and cultural calendar years. The solstice on Monday the 21st, the appearance of Jupiter and Saturn side by side in the night sky. So close, they appear as one bright winter or Christmas star. Christmas Eve on Thursday, Christmas Day on Friday, Kwanzaa beginning on Saturday, and by Tuesday the 29th, the final full moon of the year prior to the new year itself. It is now winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. It is time to settle down, to slow down, and in this dark, dreamy, resting and reflective liminal time, we are called as people and gardeners to listen to and tend to our roots. We're back now to our conversation with Japanese-born, Southern Oregon-based Sayaka Lian, head gardener of the Botanical Education Garden at the Herb Farm, growing good medicine. There's something about that patience that we as gardeners have to have in planting something or placing something, and then you really, you know, it's the best gardens that the gratification is not instantaneous, right? You have to wait the three months or the six months or the year before you see your vision start to really come around. And you saw that pretty pretty specifically in that story with your dad. Yeah, I think that's definitely um, leads towards my dream. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we'll we'll fast forward back. You have done you've like had your epiphany you've done your training in England you were what sounds like very resourceful and persistent and found Ohio State got a placement uh, for you know on the ground hands-on training you did a little time in uh, Williams at Forest Farm you go to your real internship at Filoli how long were you at Filoli, Sayaka? So that was year 2001, and I stayed there for six months, around six months. And when you think back to both the time at Forest Farm and the time at Filoli, are there lessons that really got cemented for you in these two very different settings? Because Forest Farm, for maybe people who aren't familiar, is of course a, a large, well-known, mail-order, specialty, perennial production business. And they are well-known for for their perennials, especially, I think. Yeah, and then Filoli is a, a formal, historic house and garden. 
those seem like very different, but really useful educational grounds for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at that time I wasn't really, um, knowing about medicinal plants or any native plants, you know, my intention was more to uh, create the space. So then to do that, I have to be familiar with plant itself. So both of the place I worked gain my knowledge about plants. And then at the Faloli, you know, Apprentice was given a project towards the end of the program. And I did help to make a new publication, like, you know, take base maps into the gardens and add plants to the maps. So that, um, you know, got an opportunity to, like, see every single plant in the huge Faloli um, property. Yeah. So then you have, you had met your husband while you were working at Forest Farm and he was sort of the, maybe not sort of, he was exactly the reason you moved back up to Southern Oregon and Williams. How did you join the, the, the force at Herb Farm? And then we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah. So it was just a perfect timing. You know, I moved to, um, you know, actually Grants Pass, Oregon, which is about 20 miles away from Williams. And, uh, you know, when I was intern at the forest farm, you know, Earl Farm is also a well-known company. So I knew that company. But again, like when I moved in to uh, this area, they were looking for the landscaper. So, yeah. Mm. And then the description uh, was just perfect what I wanted So, and I got that job. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you start in, I think it was 2003. Is that correct? 2003. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you first started, uh, did you have a different job title or job description? Let's walk through your, your time there and how you have manifested this mission, uh, with the garden since you began then? Yeah, um, so we do the routine work. Then um, I do create and add new theme bed. Um, that's actually kind of fun things. Um, you know, m- majority of um, the theme bed was already existing in, in the garden. But mm-hmm. um, I added like this woman's herb bed to the children's herb bed. Uh, there is some more. Ooh, tell us about that. Yeah, so the children herb bed is actually one of the new one, and I've been actually had this idea for a while, but finally kind of come together. So I actually made a little teepee, and then uh, it's actually wild, not wild, um, child Chinese wild yam was actually like trailing to the teepee, and. Um, so that teepee to me represent a woman's womb. And um, this children's herb bed is right next to the woman's bed. So um, this womb's, um, you know, like uterus in English, but in Chinese character, we call it uh, what, uh, children's palace. So this teepee, you know, come out 
and then there is a little step step stone and filled with this ground ground time then ground cover time and then you know when you walk out you know mainly mostly like baby was born from the wombs and they start to walk and then both side um there is some and you know gentle you know herbs for the children which is um like calendula lavenders and violas um yeah mm. and so then you know you see like little collection of children's herbs and then um at the end it's still under the construction but i wants to um uh, built like the five cents garden sensory garden because it's oh, okay yeah. yeah it's fun for the kids too so yeah that's kind of like my so time. what is your five so tell us about the five cents garden so i want to plant as many as like sensory um herb or plants for example like we have um uh, lamb's ear which is very soft so to touch it's really kind of cute and fun um one time the form schooler came to the gardens and the kid says i want to make like whole beds filled with this lamb's ear you know because it's so soft and stuff too and um also uh we have a uh, wild indigo um mm-hmm. when they um mature like that seed pot creates really cool rattling noise so you know i like to um plant that one too and of course lots of like aromatic uh, aromatic plants and little edible plants and uh, colorful zinnias and you know marigold and all these plants so you have 46 total beds and you have the you have the women's bed the children's bed the ups bed the five sensory bed tell us about the the plant family beds okay so we have roseacea bed and a lamiaceae bed and astaceae bed and ranunculaceae and apiaceae and another one is solaniaceae bed this botanical gardens you know majority of plants are medicinal so when i design mm-hmm. uh let's say this plant family we always think like okay you know i'm going to um plant medicinal that are also mm-hmm. the same family but um you know lamiaceae the mint family and uh, there's so many i would say most of them are medicinal or some you know kind of like um culinary herbs or you know Mm-hmm. So it was easy, you know, like lavender, rosemary, oregano, um mint, but I didn't plant mint because they spread crazy. Even it's a mint mint family bed, <laughs> I I actually avoided. But we, you know, we have mint bed or the mint, you know, plants somewhere else. And one of the biggest one is actually in the center um of center and it's the traditional Chinese medicine bed. and then the shapes are actually yin and yang and then so the border of the yin and yang is a stepping stone so you know people can actually walk through this yin and yang border 
and um, you know the plants are planted based on um, five elements. When you say the five elements, okay. So, um, as a, for the Chinese medicine, five elements are um, fire, water, wood, metal, and earth. So these three, five. I am not the expert of the Chinese medicine. Um, I grew up using it a lot, but um, you know, we just you know represent that plants in the five elements. Let's say um, the metal. You know, we have um, Catalan aster or um, um, cornus. You know, or um, burdock. And these are actually good for your uh, large intestinal uh, or the spleen, work for the spleen. Um, so our bed is just a representing of the five elements is actually our work with your body. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I think, you know, as you've already described for us, the herb farm is actively involved with this United Plant Savers group trying to, you know, increase awareness and protect and conserve some of the at-risk plants that are native to North America and have long histories of medicinal use. Tell us about the Oregon Bee Project and the Bee Map and how uh, you got the garden involved in this larger program, speaking specifically to um, the wider environment and its use of the garden, the pollinators, the birds, the um, the, the habitat and food and forage value of these plants in this garden. Yeah, so there's another thing um, I have involved is um, Oregon Bee Project. Um, so, so this is like a statewide Oregon's native bee survey. And, um, you know, I joined it with um, another master gardener insects group members. And then um, this citizen scientist initiative program now it's called uh, Master Melitologist, uh, which is like kind of like a master gardener program. But instead of uh, mastering gardening, uh, this is uh, like a mastering bee. And, uh, you know, with a group, I have been involving this survey from the very beginning. And so this is my third year. And so also besides this um, citizen scientist program, uh, they have a program called Flagship Farm Program. This program is for the farmers who lead the way in promoting pollinators' diversity through a combination of practices such as creating or maintaining habitat and supporting crops that provide floral resources for bees. Oh. And uh, yeah, Earth Farm, you know, fit the needs, you know, fits perfectly. So um, Earth Farm was nominated um, one of the flagship farm last year. Mm -hmm. So I was working for this program as well as the citizen scientist program. Oh, that's great. And mm -hmm. so in being like, what does it mean to be a flagship garden? Are there standards you have to maintain? They educate the farmers. Um, so we had some webinars that we have 
you know, go through, talk about, you know, what kind of cover crops actually better using for the pollinators and native bees. Also, um, you know, how to apply like the pesticides and herbicides, but, um, you know, herb farm really don't use all these synthetic fertilizer or, you know, pesticides at all. Um, but some of the flagship farm, you know, does use them. But if do, they just talk about how to reduce or when they apply. Uh, these education will impact definitely the population of these native bees. I think it's education for the farmers. So when they learn from this project, and each farmers will practice this promoting native bee habitats, you know, be uh, role models for the other farmers. Yeah. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Sayaka Lian is a horticulturalist and head gardener of the Herb Farms Botanical Education Garden, open to the public and expanding knowledge and awareness of medicinal plants the world over from their base in Southern Oregon. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break. So thinking out loud this week, towards the end of my conversation with Sayaka, as she thinks back on her own childhood and the Japanese culture infused with the reverence for and belief in nature itself of Shintoism, Sayaka expresses how her love of gardening and plants, quote, comes deeply from her roots. This statement stayed with me brightly, keenly. And it recalled the moment of epiphany that Amber Tam shared with us last week. When working as a farmer in Hawaii, she was encouraged and called by the work of indigenous cultural repair and restoration and renaissance in the wake of the destruction these past many centuries of colonialism and extractive capitalism. And she knew in this calling she had to return home to Brooklyn to start this work not for or with the Hawaiian people, but for and with her own people in the place of her own roots. Her work at this deepest level needed to start with her own roots and her own people. These two insights from Amber and then Sayaka They land directly on my heart. They remind me that our best work, our deepest, most appropriate work, starts in our own roots, in our own homes, with our own people, whomsoever and however diverse this concept manifests for you. There, from there, we can radiate out most healthfully and integrally. For me, my roots and my people are gardeners everywhere. Caring, tending, thoughtful, and in deep relationship with their places and all of the beings of their places. 
gardeners, you, you are my people. And we can start right there. In this rooting time of winter here, in this dark, dreamy, resting, and reflective liminal time, called to listen to and tend to our roots, on that foundation of cared-for, healthy roots, think what progress for all we can cultivate in our places, together, in this next circle around the sun. Something more to rest and dream on. Happy winter, gardeners. We're back now to our conversation with Japanese-born, Southern Oregon-based Sayaka Lian, lead gardener of the Botanical Education Garden at the Herb Farm, growing good medicine. As a, a native bee enthusiast and pollinator gardener down here, you know, some of the keys to providing floral resources for our native bees are, one, you, you must be organic. You cannot use uh, chemicals or insecticides or herbicides uh, in your garden if you really want to encourage pollinator safety. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, some of the herbicide are systematic. So even, you know, you don't see bees and, you know, apply, it's still residual, you know, stays in the ground. So definitely like encourage not to use all these at all. Right. Yeah. And so is the, the botanical demonstration garden there at the herb farm is a hundred percent organic? Yeah. Yeah. We are like certified organic. Well, actually the certified organic is the farm part actually not the display garden but i i don't use that at all i don't so whether or not you're su- you're certified you are an organic gardener right yeah as a personally and also um you know since earth farm uh, joined a program called regenerative organic certification program uh, which is uh you know we do like a nat- natural practice like conservation tillage or, you know, integrated pest management, you know, or the pollinator, you know, promoting pollinator habitat. So I want to follow this practice in the garden as well. So let's say like we start using a lot of the compost tea or like we have nettle and comfrey, which is both of them are medicinal and we make a tincture with it. But like these nettles and comfrey is abundant. Uh, and then so we make compost tea with that plant mm-hmm. and applied mm-hmm. and it actually worked really well. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so how do you track? So as a flagship farm as part of the um, Oregon Bee Project or the Oregon Bee Map, how do you track and monitor the diversity of the garden, of, of the bees in the garden, mm-hmm. Sayaka? So, yeah, I talk about the flagship. Um, program I did the last year um, so um, basically like I choose I choose the site all over the farm and as well as botanical gardens and uh, we actually collect bees and then all these samples actually went to 
Oregon Department of Agriculture. And then uh, they ID all these native bees to species. And just recently, um, we got the um, bee specimen then back to us with actually a great news. You know, from the seven other farms that were surveyed last year, Herb Farm had the most genera of the bee found, which is 20 of them. Wow. Mm -hmm. wow. And then there are also eight species of bumblebees. That is incredible, mm -hmm. Sayaka. Yeah. How many native bees are there in Oregon as a state? I know, which is sort of a right. random designation to like say how many are native. It's not like they don't cross the border into California, but mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, they estimated about 500 species, okay. but there has never been an organized survey of the state speeds. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, without even a checklist of species, it's difficult to know where the health of Oregon bees is improving or declining. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why the Citizen Science Pro Scientist Program and uh, FRAXIP Program we do survey bees, but at the same time, these Oregon State University Extension um, professional staff trained us and educated us about the native bees. You collect there on site. I think you already described this to us, but just to reiterate, you've you've chosen very specific sites around the farm and then the display garden, and you do a designated time on a designated day, do you do, do you collect once a month, once a quarter? How do you decide when you're going to collect in order to get the broadest, most representative survey? For the flagship farm, I used vein traps. So there is a traps and yep. I put it out there. Um, I probably say twice a month. I could do more, but, um, you know, twice a month and then leave it there for um, um, 24 hours. And then um, mm -hmm. I get the sample after. Is the trap like a sticky trap, like like one of the pheromone traps? Like why do the bees go? What? How does the trap work? So um, tr that vein trap doesn't have any uh, pheromone on anything. It's just the color, the vivid color of yellow and blue which the, the bee attract. Oh, so, you know, I, I'm, we are coming to a close now. And when, you know, you think about your, your family and your culture in Japan and your upbringing, and then your really interesting journey from there to what you do now. Um, and then what I find just the really interesting integration of, um, habitat and preservation and medicinal plants and history and the educational outreach with all of those things. Um, there is so much important work that you are uh, on the ground fostering there, Sayaka. When you personally think about it, what stands out as the, the more global importance of this kind of work at this time in our world? So, you know, Earth Farm become busier than ever because people out there started realizing the importance and the value of herbal medicine, especially this pandemic. 
And uh, co-founder Sarah Katz voiced recently that we are made for these times. So the work that you know we all do is making such an impact in life and health of people out there. So at this time in your career, Sayaka, how do you measure success and, and what is your greatest joy in this work? So I have to uh, tell this story to share. Um, you know, like, so UPS, you know, United Plant Saver, um, Earth Farm um, host this um, conference um, and then the last year was our fourth year hosting this conference. And uh, about 250 people joined and uh, many herbalists and uh, regional and lo local instructors include Ed Smith joined as a speaker. And, uh, you know, they're giving participant informative workshop and plant work. And uh, UPS founding president and also well-known herbalist Rosemary Glotstar was a speaker and she did herb walk at the garden, education garden that day. And uh, yeah, and I did participated her walk with 30 plus people. And I watched her explaining about ladies' mantles and touching and smelling the thyme. And uh, she was like a little girl excited being in the garden. And I truly felt her love towards this garden. So this was my reward. This is my greatest joy, especially I get it from Rosemary Glassstar. But generally speaking, gardener works behind the scene, unless like a celebrity gardener, um, not only from well-known herbalists like Rosemary. When I see visitors smile and com complimenting the garden, this is my truly greatest joy. And... Um, if I measure my success, I will go back to myself 20 years ago, who was no experience gardening, but had a passion about being a garden designer and wanted to create a space on my own. But now I realize I'm creating a space not only for myself, but others to inspire. So that to me is my success. Yeah. And then when you when you look at our world this last five six months, you know um, the the sort of public health crisis we've been in under COVID nineteen, and the real highlight, as you mentioned, of of us needing to be as individuals more accountable and responsible for our preventative health and the health and well-being of the larger world and the social justice reckoning that we are uh, undergoing in our world. Have these intensified your mission or um, or changed it in any way as a gardener and a mother and a partner? Sayaka? Yeah, so, you know, the herb farm, the gardens and farm is normally open to the public, you know, and then we provide a farm tour in summer. But, you know, due to COVID, you know, we're not expect, uh, accepting any visitors. Um, so I, I liked you mentioned in the episode back, um, you know, all these events are canceled, but season, you know, are not canceled. 
and plants and other insect activities are not canceled. You know, and the insect don't need a social distances. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's so true that when, you know, I'm working in the garden, I, I forget what's happening in the world. So working alone in the garden gave me more chance of interconnection with plants. This personal connection with plants are deeply coming from my roots, where I'm from. And in Japan, we have this ancient way of respect um, nature and earth. So this comes from the belief of Shintoism, which is the indigenous faith of Japanese people. And unlike other religion, in Shinto has no founder or the sacred sculptures, scriptures. And it doesn't recognize difference between God, nature, or human being. And so Shinto is always coexist with nature. So yeah, this last couple months, you know, this pandemic, let me think about my roots. You know, every winter I go back and visit my family, but I'm not, you know, sure about this winter because this uncertain time. But thanks to the technology, I could connect with my family in Japan now and then also people who has a similar vision. And, you know, my vision... Like, I want to be inspired by nature, and I want to inspire others as well. It, you know, it's intense, intensified. And for that, you know, um, this is like my first time to say it, but like you, I want to, you know, start my own podcast. Like, you know, like finding people, especially like Japanese people, who are like similar like me, um, you know, love the nature and working with the nature, um, you know, in Japan and also in the, all over the world. Um, yeah. That is a wonderful um, goal. And I am very happy that you have spoken it out loud for the universe to hear. And um I think connecting people not only with our individual garden actions, but our voices is always valuable. Thank you very much for being a, a guest on the program and sharing your journey with us, Sayaka. Oh, thank you so much. Sayaka Lian is a Japanese-born horticulturalist and gardener. She is the lead gardener at the Herb Farm in Southern Oregon and oversees their botanical education garden. The Herb Farm are creators of a wide array of organic, cultivated, and ethically crafted herbal products. They believe that their work can inspire more love for plants and respect for nature, and that it will improve the health, happiness, and harmony of the earth and all its people. Founded in the 1970s by Ed Smith and Sarah Katz, the working production farm based in Williams, Oregon, is also home to an extensive public display garden featuring over 500 native and non-native herbal plants. This botanical education garden, where Sayaka Lian is the lead gardener, is engaged in ongoing research and conservation collaborations with other plant and 
ecosystem-based groups, including United Plant Savers, whose mission is to protect native medicinal plants of the United States and Canada and their native habitats, while ensuring an abundant, ethical, and renewable supply of medicinal plants and medicinal plant gardeners for generations to come. The Botanical Education Garden at the Herb Farm is also a flagship farm for the Oregon Bee Project and Atlas out of Oregon State University, which is striving to study and thereby protect the native bees of Oregon. Sayaka, with her own deep roots in Japanese culture and the nature-based traditions of Shintoism, facilitates public engagement in the display garden at the herb farm. Among her many goals for 2021, she is hoping to get even more public groups into the garden, beyond the existing master gardeners, school groups, and homeschool groups that are involved. She also is very much looking forward to the Herbiculture Internship Program beginning again post-COVID. Join us again next week when our last episode of 2020 sends us into 2021 on a more muscular note in conversation with Richmond, Virginia-based Duran Chavez, a leading and visionary voice in the next generation and importance surrounding urban agriculture. Listen in next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and listeners supported through CultivatingPlace.com. Make sure to head to CultivatingPlace.com this week for many images of the Botanical Education Garden at the Herb Farm and Sayaka Leanne's work there. While you're there, make sure you're subscribed to the Cultivating Place podcast so you never miss an episode and the weekly reflections to listeners you will always find in each week's podcast version of the program. You can subscribe through Apple Podcasts, through Stitcher, through Spotify, through SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Happy winter. And until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.